As you know, we are expounding through the epistle of James. We've given a two-part introduction, and last Lord's Day was the first time that we were able really to get into the text, and we looked at verses 2 through 4. This morning, we want to take up verse 5. And I had intended to go down through verse 8, but after I got into verse 5, I saw that I wasn't going to go very far. And so I'm just going to just take actually a portion of verse 5, and then the next time we'll hopefully get through verse 8 in regards to really the theme here of this particular section of James. So let's read verse 5 down through verse 8. And again, I want to take up just a portion, though, of verse 5 this morning. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways." Again, my text in particular, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. In verses 2 through 4 of this particular chapter, James is writing here to his readers and us as well, that you remember we're to count it all joy when we fall into divers' temptations. That is, when the lives, in our lives, when the trials and the adversities and temptations come, one of the things, one of many things that we are to be doing is to count it all joy. And he also shows us that these temptations, as we see there in verse 3, become our trials. And in this, they become the tests of life or the tests regarding our faith. And this trying or this testing, though, as he tells us in verse four or verse three, excuse me, worketh patience. And and then patience, as we see in verse four, unto maturity. And the Christian then needs joy in trials. He needs patience in trials. And these things coming upon us then are the ways or at least one of the ways, one of the means in which God uses to bring these things to pass. And as I hope, I've made clear that joy and sorrow can exist in the same soul. Joy and sorrow and trials and troubles and sadness and great heaviness of heart can all be in the believer in the midst of trials and tribulations and temptations. He can have joy on one angle of these things as we look at them, and he can also have sorrow in this. We saw that with our Lord Jesus, did we not? He himself experienced joy and sorrow. Now, I realize to the unbeliever, this may sound like a lot of bunk. Or it may sound something that's strange or or saying that, well, that can never be. It can't be. It's just a, a complete contradiction. But the soul who trusts in the Lord knows by experience as well as by God's word, something of the measure of temptations, don't they? And something of the measure of both the sorrow of those temptations and the trials of those temptations. And it truly does depend on which angle we're looking at when we're viewing these things in our trials. And before I go on, I want to make an application of that truth, if I could, please. 
And it's this. I want to give an observation application that I really didn't have the time to make last time. And the observation is this. Knowing that, brethren, that in the midst of a trial, a brother can be having joy and sorrow, depending on which one that particular individual is viewing at that time, what aspect of the trial and joy, let us be very careful in our judging of others in the midst of their trials. We may be seeing them in the time in which they are at their point of their trial, that it's great heaviness and it's a great sorrow. And joy itself may not necessarily be showing. And we need to be very careful in our judgments. Sometimes we can be quick to judge that this poor Christian who may be going through some trial as not exercising joy because at that moment that's not expressed outwardly. But it may be there. It's just that that's not the focus at the moment. It's true, though. We ought to comfort those and we ought to exhort those, just as, as James does here, to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptation. But we need to be careful to realize that, you know what? We don't see the whole picture. We don't see the whole picture of that individual's life who's been struggling through their trial, who maybe yesterday was counting it joy. But today, because perhaps more of trial, or they're thinking this thing through more, and it's become a great heaviness to them. And then I come along and say, well, look, you're just not a very happy Christian. There's something wrong with you. Well, again, they haven't, I, I don't see the whole thing. Aren't we sometimes guilty of judging like that? Oh, we need to be careful, don't we? Matthew 26, for instance, the Lord Jesus And I think sometimes we would be the ones who would be standing at the Lord's side when he was going through great heaviness of heart and we would have the lack of discernment to say, well, you need to count this all joy, Lord. Now, if we do it to the brethren, we'd probably do it to our Lord. But you remember in Matthew 26 and verse 38, Then he said unto them, My soul is exceeding, is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And you hear some pious Christian saying, Well, look, Lord, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. Well, that's, there are folks like that, aren't they? Hebrews 5, 7 says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Here again, we would maybe complain against the Lord, wouldn't we? Or complain against another Christian. We remember in Hebrews 12, too, that it speaks of the joy that was set before the Lord Jesus. So he did continue. He did endure. So let's be careful not to be judging others too roughly about this. And then secondly on this, beloved, don't judge yourselves as failing in the midst of trials when in your souls there are sorrows, fears, and troubles. Just as you should not judge others too harshly, neither should you judge yourself when at times you do feel these sorrows and these fears, because they're not sin. If they were sin, Jesus would not have been the perfect sacrifice, nor the sinless high priest that He was and is for His people. 
Because he had sorrow of heart, did he not? He had heaviness. But let me encourage you, though, to seek to be joyful in the midst of all of this. I couldn't be fair to the Bible or to your souls or to my own, if we all have trials, and I do too, that I can't. Yes, it's true. I say we can have sorrow. That's lawful. But at the same time, brethren, it may be looking at it at a different angle, surely and truly. Let's be joyful. Let's count it all joy. Why? Well, knowing, as Paul... Uh, James, excuse me, we've been preaching so much in Paul that he's going to come out of my mouth a lot. But knowing, says James in verse 3, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. With that knowledge under your belt, so to speak, then you to have joy in your trials and tribulations. Well, today, though, I want to move into James' exhortation to pray for wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom... I mentioned last time that some commentators said that we are born, we're not born with great supplies of patience. Well, the truth, same truth can be said of Christians when it comes to wisdom. Uh, we're not necessarily born with great supplies of wisdom, are we? I think many of us have found out that we are sorely lacking in wisdom when trials come our way, don't we? Yeah, you got it all figured out. When a trial comes your way, do you have it figured out what you should and should not be doing, how you should handle it, and all these kind of things? Are you, are you there? Well, if you are, this message isn't for you. This is for those of us who knows that we, we know that we lack wisdom. Notice he says, first of all there, if any of you lack wisdom there in verse 5. Now, the word if there isn't put as a doubt, we don't... Uh, that we don't have wisdom in and of itself, as God gives us that. But, of course, nor just wisdom in the business world, so to speak, or just having that. But it's godly wisdom that he's speaking of. And there is no doubt that we do not have that by nature. But either way you want to look at it, wisdom, you and I, brethren, we stand in need of, don't we? And yet, sometimes we can be quite blind to the fact of our own insufficiencies. One commentator said, We are all apt to think ourselves wise until circumstances arise that test the wisdom we possess. And so probably many Christians believe that they are able to endure affliction well till they fall into it. Some of us have the Peter mentality. Lord, I won't deny you no matter what. And then when the trial comes... Three times he was denied by Peter. Some of us can act that way, can we not? However, you may take, however you may take the F there in verse 5, when we do lack wisdom, what's he tell us to do here? What's the exhortation? Seek it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, the question arises, secondly, what is this wisdom? Well, putting it in a nutshell, it's spiritual discernment that is found in maturity. That would be the context. Let patience have her perfect work. Verse 4. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom. So spiritual discernment to, that's needed to be found being in maturity. Some have said it's biblical knowledge and understanding in practice. I like that. 
That is, we can know a lot of things about the Bible. We can have lots of verses memorized, and, and you may have your daily quota that you try to do, or a weekly quota of verses. But, you know, if we don't apply them, we don't obey them, we're fooling ourselves, aren't we? We're not very wise at all. In fact, in Peter or James gives us that very warning. I'll call him anything but his name probably here in this, this series. But we can look in verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass and so forth. And as you know, we've taught sermons on how to hear God's word. And we may be very apt at being good hearers. You can take my list of things that we've gone through and say, yep, I can do every single one of those. But brethren, if you go out the door and you don't obey, you're not a wise man. You're fooling yourself. And that's the way it is sometimes. We can have knowledge and understanding, but we don't put it into practice. And that's a good, I think, a good definition of being wise or having wisdom. To put into practice the things that we do know. Uh, Proverbs 3 and this is a good place to go uh, to know about wisdom as the, the whole topic is of that very thing. Chapter 3, for instance, and I'll just read these few verses here about wisdom and something of it. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. This is verse 13 of chapter 3. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand riches and honor. Her, way, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are, are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. Well, we see something very noble there about wisdom how it needs to be sought after. And wisdom in our text, we see here, at least in the flow of James, would be that wisdom that is needed in the midst of our trials and our tribulations. Remember, that's the whole context of this section. It's the trials and the adversities, the temptation, the trying of our faith that work with patience. These are the things that are going to make us cry out for wisdom. Wisdom in these things. But to help us to see the fact of this wisdom, I want us to look at certain things. I want us to consider several things in light of the context and this theme of living out our tempted faith and having joy. I want us to look at some of the why or the where of needing wisdom. So I have about ten things that I want to list here this morning. They'll make up the bulk of this sermon. Dealing with this idea, if any of you lack wisdom. Okay, so we need wisdom. Wisdom for what? So that's what I want us to look at. I have ten things, and there's probably more, a lot more. But these are just ten things that as I was studying and going through a trial recently myself and seeing how uh, bad I did in it, uh, I saw there's, there's some areas that... Uh, we can improve in. And if it's happened to me, I'm sure it's happened to you, to you at times. And if it hasn't, well, it may. So fill yourself up with knowledge this morning. First of all, then, we need wisdom. Here will be some reasons why we need wisdom. We need wisdom to go through obediently the testing that God has laid upon us. Here's why you could need some wisdom. 
so that you will be obedient in that particular testing of your faith that God has put upon you. Again, we may not choose the particular trials and the adversities that God would give us. So, and as we've often said from the pulpit, many people take trials and adversities as excuses not to be more obedient. Well, I'm in a trial, thus I shouldn't expect it to be faithful. I mean, look at me, I'm going through a trial. I'm having sorrows. Don't expect more than me. No, actually, God is expecting us to be obedient in our trials. Away with this silly notion that trials give us excuses not to be obedient to God's Word. We've already failed. We've lacked wisdom, if that is our problem. Hebrews 11 and verse 17 is that one we pointed out last time as an example of someone who was tried. It was, it was Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, what did he do? He offered up Isaac. He was commanded, Isaac, or Abraham, you take your only begotten son, Isaac, and you take him and you offer him. A, that was a trial. But he obeyed, didn't he? He did what God said. So Abraham had wisdom and faith to do what he should do. So, brethren, pray for wisdom that you will know to obey God in the midst of a trial. It's really easy to get that mindset that most have. Well, I can be slack here. I can be slack over there. You don't expect me to be faithful here, do you? And that was area. Okay, so you got that. Number two, uh, Bede suggested that we need wisdom to know how to look at trials in their true light. You know, he said back in verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Sometimes we may not know that. Sometimes we may not be confident of that. So we need wisdom to be able to discern that. To know how to look at trials in the biblical way. Or even look over in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See here, James is explaining again about something of temptation. And you need to see it in its true light. God doesn't tempt you in the sense that he means here in verses 13 and 14. Are we not sometimes quick to lay all the blame on God? And I've got an application from someone here at the end on that. It was very cutting as I read it, thinking of my lack of patience sometime and wisdom. But brethren, pray for wisdom to know how to look at trials properly. We are so schooled to look at the way the world does, don't we? We go out in the world, we rub shoulders with the world, we hear the world and their philosophy. So it's very easy to come home with the world's philosophy, doesn't it? And we shouldn't. Thirdly, we need wisdom, ask for wisdom that we might allow or let patience have her perfect work. Now again, notice, but let her, let her, but let patience have her perfect work. We need to be smart enough, wise enough to allow, to let, as, it, as the word here means, patience. Go on and do what it needs to do. And not kick against God's way of dealing with us in trials. Isn't it very easy to reject this stuff? 
you know, and uh, perhaps sometimes, you know, we're like water. We'll choose the least resistance and go that way. That may not be God's way at that moment. So wisdom is needed to do what and not, excuse me, not to kick against the trials that are set before us. Number four, wisdom we need in the midst of trials to know and understand and discern what to do and what not to do. That's usually a lot of the counsel I give out. And I have to search for my own heart. What to do in the midst of a trial? Do I do this or do I do that? Well, brethren, here's the recipe here. If any of you lack wisdom in the midst of your trial as God is trying your faith and you're letting patience have our perfect work so that you can move on to more mature ground, then you need wisdom to know what to do and what not to do. If you go over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, at the very end there, Paul deals with maturity and faith. And he says one of the things about maturity is the fact that you are able to discern the good from the evil. You know right from wrong. An immature Christian doesn't sometimes know right from wrong. Well, who's going to give us that knowledge if it isn't God? Well, you say, well, I seek out counsel. I try to talk to other men and tell me what to do or other ladies who are wise. Well, even then you'll need discernment to know whether they're telling you what's correct. So wisdom is needed. Discernment. If you find yourself in that place, cry for it. Ask of God. Number five, wisdom to do what He tells us to do to begin with. In verse two there, count it all joy. Probably not one of the first things I think when I go through a trial. Is it you? Do you have that first on your mind? Count it all joy. No, we're probably thinking of other matters. Well, we need wisdom to, again, count it all joy. And I realize that probably goes back under Bede's suggestion to know how to look at wisdom and, or look at trials in their true light. But again, this is specific to James' point here. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Philippians, he, tell the, the church, he tells the church there, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that the last year care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. But I rejoiced in the Lord. Here he was in straits. People weren't uh, taking care of his needs. The churches weren't communicating as they ought to. And finally, the Philippians come through and he's able to rejoice. Well, we need to have that wisdom, brethren, to count it all joy. When we fall into divers' temptation. And uh, this would be one of my own here. Wisdom to seek wisdom. Wisdom to have enough sense about ourselves to know that we don't have wisdom. How often we go about seeking to remedy our own trials by our own wisdom. It goes a lot of times, doesn't it? Proverbs 3 tells us not to uh, trust in ourselves, but trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thy own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. We need wisdom to realize we cannot depend upon ourselves or trust in the arm of the flesh or trusting in worldly men and the wisdom of this world. 
And unfortunately, sometimes we are so full of ourselves that we think that we are somehow competent. We think we have all the answers. They even think sometimes their faith is so sufficient. Their hearts are so fortified. They will gain the victory. There's no defect in their idea of Christianity. But they don't see that they're lacking. How sad. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Don't be ashamed that you need wisdom. It's a mark of pride to think you know it all and have all the answers. I would say some of the oldest saints we may have, old in years and old in grace, I hope would tell you they don't have all the answers and they need wisdom. And the best place to start knowing, the best place to begin with wisdom is to realize we lack it. Instead of being so self-sured of ourselves. Number seven, wisdom to walk in preparation of a trial. Instead of finding ourselves right in the middle of it, what should we have been doing to begin with? Well, you notice verse two, he says, count it all joy. So he's warning them here. When temptations come, do this. Because you know this, verse three. So in other words, there is some preparation here. And Jesus, you remember, often warned his disciples of the temptations and the tribulations that would come upon them. So let on, don't let us go out, as it were, unprepared. Don't let us be caught off guard. Remember Peter, as we quoted last week, don't think it a strange thing that you fall into divers' troubles. Don't think it a strange and amazing thing, the trial that's about ready to come upon you as if it's new. Remember Paul told the brethren at Corinth that these things are common. Sometimes we're caught off guard. What? I'm in the midst of a trial? It's going to happen to me? Yes. Remember the Lord told Peter that Satan was going to try to ensnare him. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He was giving Peter a heads up there, wasn't he? He told Peter that he would deny him three times. He was giving Peter a heads up. Matthew 26, you don't need to turn there. But the disciples were with him when Jesus was in the garden. And he told them, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's put that in there for them and for us to have some kind of preparation for when trials come and temptations. Wisdom to heed the biblical warnings regarding the trials and the temptations. Know our hearts. Know where we can easily stumble. Know what gets us down. Know what hurts us. Number eight. Wisdom not only before the trial, but during the trial, as we've been preaching. But also wisdom after the trial. It's not just... Boy, I got that one over with. Learn from that. 
You need wisdom to learn from our trials. Wisdom to use the knowledge and the experience that we do possess and we do gain in our trials. Remember in Romans 5, he gives us that very point. That experience worketh patience and so forth. Why do we have experimental Christianity if not so that we may learn what to do next time or learn what not to do next time? If you see yourself totally or sadly lacking in the last trial and how that you were caught off guard and or how that you didn't improve the particular one you had or how you even acted in the midst of it. Let that be things that you learn now for the next one when it comes their way. Because, Christian, it's going to come. There's going to be another trial. You had one yesterday, you say? Well, I assure you, you're going to have another one if God spares your life. It's not over. You go, great. No, this is all part of it. So learn from these things rather than kicking against them and rejecting them. Profit from trials and adversities. And then number nine, wisdom to comfort others and help others in trials. And we're all familiar with that very famous verse. Kind of one of those watershed verses over at Second Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You go through a trial. You learn the do's and the don'ts. You saw how hard things were. You were sad. You were distraught. Well, someone else will go through perhaps the same thing or things like it. Then there you are, brethren, prepared to be a help. Because you yourselves have went through them. And brethren, we need wisdom to be able to help others, do we not? Who here knows when a brother comes to you and says, Look, I'm having a difficulty here and a difficulty there. I'm I'm having a hard time being joyful in this. I'm having a hard time seeing how that this can be for my good. All of these things that come. Do we not need wisdom to know how to direct them? Sure we do. So then what should we do? If any man like wisdom, let him ask of God. And then lastly, wisdom in all respects that we haven't covered. You fill in the blank, so to speak. I, it's true. I'm sure I did not cover everything in these nine things that I gave you. There are probably other things you could come up with then if that's so, then you fill in the blank and then you cry out for wisdom in that area or other areas. So those are the things, brethren, why we would need wisdom. And let me ask again, who here hasn't at least in some measure been faced with some of those nine or ten things in their Christian walk, in their Christian trials and sorrows? Well, what are we to do? Fourthly, this morning, and very quickly, 
Well, he says here, let him ask. Let him ask of God. If any of us lack here this morning and some of those things or in all of those things that we just talked about, wisdom to know how to deal in these areas, here is the exhortation from James. Ask, pray, and seek. If any of those areas touch you or have touched you or will touch you, then here is the remedy. Let him ask of God. Aren't you glad that James just didn't leave us hanging there? If James is the meanie that sometimes people make him out to be, the cold, hard fellow who just tells you the facts and goes on, he doesn't show that here, does he? Any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God. In fact, as we'll look at this next week, Lord willing, as we begin to expound the rest of this down to verse 8, he shows us some very touching things to make us cry out for wisdom. Some good promises. You know, the things about trials is that they do have this tendency to cause us to cry out to God, don't they? Maybe sometimes not as quick as we ought to, but we know in the end they do make us cry out. Because God is such a God to those who are in trouble. He has set up the throne of grace for people like us who have temptations, who have trials, who have sorrows, who need grace and help in the time of need. Jesus sits ready to help us because He is our great high priest. The model prayer suggests what? Lead us not into temptation. So my encouragement to you this morning is to seek it. Cry after it. We won't have it unless we ask. We have not because we... Ask not. And we'll get into more of this, as I said, as we go down through the remainder of this section through verse 8. So, let me close with some applications this morning. First of all, our trials show us such a need of wisdom. I hope that's what I've tried to set forth this morning and trying to lay these things out in the way that I did, was to show us, if you're sitting here so self-assured, I hope by now you realize, well... You know, if you put it that way, I think I will need some help in my trial. If I've, if I've accomplished that, I've, I think I've done well in this this morning in trying to make it that plain. Of course, I know all this is of the Lord. But trials should show us that we have a need of wisdom. So, brethren, let trials be the tutor to teach us to cry for wisdom. Take advantage of that. They have that purpose. Trials aren't mistakes in God's decree. They're really not. They're not some boo-boo. They're not a glitch in God's great program that He has ordained from all eternity. And they have a purpose. And every one of those purposes is for us or and for His glory. And one of those purposes towards us is to make us see that we need wisdom and to pray to Him. I like to... I like to Think of trials like a sponge and water thing. You get a bucket and you put a sponge in the, in the water. It's going to soak it all up. And if you want to get the water out of it, what do you do? You squeeze that sponge so the water comes flying out. Well, that's the way trials are to our souls. God takes our hearts and He squeezes the prayers out of us. That's why He gives them. One of the reasons. 
so that we'll see our need of Him. Manton said, Every providence hath a voice, though sometimes it be so still and low that it requires some skill to hear it. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And let me quote this one. This is rather... I was cut when I read it. He says, This is how, Christian friend, you can know whether you lack wisdom, assuming there is any real question about the matter. Do you find yourself sliding into confusion of mind and bitterness of soul as you evaluate God's dealings with your life? Any Christian who wallows in complaining self-pity and never breaks from a perpetual litany of, Lord, why has this happened to me, has not begun to tap the resources of wisdom which God has made available to the prayer of faith. He provides for the healing of hurt minds as well as bodies. If, however, we insist on a diet of knowing dissatisfaction with God's will, when we should be feeding on Christ the bread of life, then it can be small wonder that the remedy escapes us. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I probably quoted more from commentators than I have in a long time on this section, but I want you to see it's just not me who thinks this way. I didn't prove these things don't prove anything. I want you to know that this is the experience of others. A very biting application that was, I think. And then thirdly, do you need wisdom this morning? Then go to Christ. Christians seek it at the very foot of Christ. His very feet. In Him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 3. Isn't that great? And He is there for us. Don't forsake Him. And center this morning, the gospel of Christ is the wisdom of God in which is displayed God's great method of saving sinners. That's the wisdom of God. And I call upon you this morning to repent and to believe the gospel. Paul says in regards to the believer, but of him, ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Sinner, you'll know nothing of that apart from Christ. So look to him today. Maybe it would be the trials and the adversities of life that are making you think more about your situation. And I hope more than just, well, I'm this, I'm that. But your sins before God. Christ is not a Savior from problems. In fact, He'll bring you a few. He's a Savior from sin and from wrath and judgment to come. And you go on in your sins, there's no hope. And there's no mercy. So let me encourage you to flee to Christ. Believe upon Him. And He will be that Savior. He will be that Redeemer. He will be that High Priest to all those who embrace Him by faith.